Hello, my name's Roger Henderson. I'm a GP in Dumfries and Galloway, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to the GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all of those of us working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So do please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. And you can also follow me there too, at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, we'll be discussing an overview of hypertension and its management. Now, hypertension is a potentially massive area to discuss, and we have conferences that can last a week discussing it. So this is going to be an overview of the key points we should all be remembering in our practices for one of the most common problems that we see every day in our working days. Hypertension is one of the most important preventable causes of premature morbidity and mortality in the UK, which is why I think it's worth covering. Around 25% of the UK population has high blood pressure. And the risk associated with this is continuous. With each 2 millimeter rise in systolic blood pressure, associated with a 7% increased risk of mortality from ischemic heart disease and a 10% increased risk of mortality from stroke. And yet, despite these risks, 60% of the people who have a diagnosis are still unfortunately not controlled to target. So, after smoking and diet, hypertension is the biggest risk factor in the UK for premature death and disability. And worldwide, it's estimated around 1.5 billion people have hypertension, causing over 20 million cardiovascular deaths. One in four people in the UK have it, as we mentioned, but they're only around one in three treated to target. And the vast majority of these have essential or primary hypertension, with secondary hypertension usually being linked to pregnancy, endocrine problems, or renal disease. It's also worth mentioning here that alcohol misuse can be a significant cause of secondary hypertension. It tends to cause variable drug-resistant hypertension and typically resolves with abstinence and may be the commonest cause of secondary hypertension out there. So if we look at risk factors for hypertension, let's turn to the non-modifiable risk factors that are out there first. The most obvious, perhaps, is getting older. As all of us getting o- get older, our risk of developing hypertension slowly and steadily increases. Gender is also important. Up to the age of 65, men are more at risk, whereas after the age of 65, women are slightly more at risk. Family history is also important. Research on twins suggests that up to 40% of blood pressure variability may actually be genetic in nature. And ethnicity is a well-known non-modifiable risk factor, with hypertension being more common in people of black African and black Caribbean origin. 
However, modifiable risk factors are more significant and more common. So being overweight or obese is a major modifiable risk factor. As we all know, this increases the risk of metabolic syndrome and it impairs blood pressure natriuresis. Smoking is a well-known modifiable risk factor and it's generally believed this is because nicotine acts as an adrenergic agonist mediating local and systemic catecholamine release and possibly as well the release of vasopressin, all of which increases blood pressure. I mentioned alcohol before and repeated occasional or frequent binge drinking of alcohol is associated with an increased risk of hypertension. Inactivity is a well-known modifiable risk factor as is mental stress. Dietary salt excess is very well known, but perhaps one of the things that we tend to forget when talking to our patients. The consensus statement by the 2022 World Hypertension League states that around 30% of hypertension prevalence could be attributed to high dietary sodium. And the Intersalt study also indicates that high dietary sodium intake may have a substantively larger life course impact on blood pressure than is currently indicated in the available relatively short-term sodium reduction trials we currently have. So what are the definitions of hypertension? Well, I think the simplest thing here is to look at what NICE say. And there are three stages, stage one, two, and three. So for stage one hypertension, NICE says this is a blood pressure equal to or greater than 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury. Stage 2 is a blood pressure greater than 160 over 100 millimeters of mercury. And stage 3 is a blood pressure greater than 180 over 120 millimeters of mercury. Now, if an initial blood pressure reading is 140 or 90 or more, then take three readings and record the two lowest. If it's between 140 over 90 and 180 over 120, offer ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. And the diagnosis is confirmed if the blood pressure in the surgery is repeatedly greater than 140 over 90 and an average ambulatory blood pressure monitor measurement is 135 over 85 or higher. And NICE generally now recommend the same treatment regime for people aged 80 plus as for those aged 55 to 80. Should we investigate our patients with hypertension? Well, yes, we probably should, especially after taking a full history and especially in patients who are young, who have severe blood pressure or resistant blood pressure. And we should really be looking to assess the potential for end organ damage. And these investigations include bloods to include renal function, fasting blood glucose or an HbA1c, lipids, thyroid function tests, and a urine dip for blood and protein. An ECG is often helpful, as may be an echo scan. Renal ultrasound is sometimes considered, especially if there appears to be secondary hypertension. And always consider referral if there is severe or accelerated hypertension, if the patient is pregnant, under 40, or if there is significant failure of medical treatment. 
As we all know, one of the things we should be doing first in our patients with newly diagnosed hypertension is to talk about lifestyle, and there are a number of things we should be talking about here. So look at the patient's diet. We should be aiming to increase their input of whole grain food, reducing their intake of saturated fat and sugar, and suggesting they eat oily fish at least twice a week. Reducing their caffeine can be helpful, and we should always be telling them to drink alcohol at the recommended levels or less. We should also be looking to have their fruit and vegetable intake up to at least five portions a day. We mentioned salt earlier, and we should be reducing their salt intake to no more than five grams a day. This is actually a small amount, just under a teaspoon. Reducing to three grams a day allows the reduction of, of approximately four to eight millimeters of systolic blood pressure and two millimeters of diastolic. And the magnitude of blood pressure lowering does show a dose-response relation with salt. It's greater for older populations, it's greater in non-white populations, and it's greater in those with a higher initial blood pressure. Obviously, we should be telling our smoking patients to stop, we should be increasing their activity levels, and we should be working on their weight very significantly. Having done all that, consider medical treatment in patients under the age of 60 with stage 1 hypertension and an estimated cardiovascular disease risk greater than 10%, especially if they have diabetes, renal disease, known existing cardiovascular disease, or evidence of any organ damage. As always, we should be discussing the risks and benefits with each patient along with any personal preferences and offering treatment as well to adults of any age with stage 2 hypertension. If our patient is aged over 80 and their blood pressure, for example, is 150 over 90 or more, then give lifestyle advice and consider using medical treatment, but do use your clinical judgment if the patient is frail or they have multiple morbidities. If they're under 80, aim to maintain a clinic blood pressure of 140 over 90 or less. So use your clinic blood pressure to monitor treatment. Measure standing and sitting blood pressure in people with type 2 diabetes, in people with systems of postural hypotension, or those aged 80 or over. Consider ambulatory blood pressure measuring, or home blood pressure measuring, in addition to clinic blood pressure measurements, for people with white coat hypertension or masked hypertension. So if we're using a, an antihypertensive drug, what choice should we be using? Well, I think the NICE guidelines are worth looking at again here. So initially, I'm going to talk about patients with hypertension who do have type 2 diabetes. So for step one, we would look at using an ACE inhibitor or an, an ARB, an angiotensin receptor blocker. Then, if it's still not controlled, we would use an ACE or an ARB plus a calcium channel blocker or a thiazide-like diuretic. If it's still not treated to target, then we use an ACE or an ARB plus a calcium channel blocker plus a thiazide-like diuretic. If that is still not tolerated, if the blood pressure is not controlled, then we're into step four treatment. So confirm that there is resistant hypertension with ambulatory blood pressure monitoring or home blood pressure monitoring. Check for postural hypertension and discuss adherence. 
consider seeking expert advice at this stage or add a low dose spironolactone if blood pressure if blood potassium level is below four and a half and use an alpha blocker or a beta blocker if blood potassium level is higher than four and a half if you've got a patient who has uncontrolled blood pressure on optimally tolerated doses of four drugs then always seek expert advice so for the patient without type 2 diabetes exactly that same pathway follows if the patient is aged under 55 and is not of a black african or african caribbean family origin if they are aged 55 or over and have hypertension without type 2 diabetes then step one is to use a calcium channel blocker for step two add an ACE inhibitor or an ARB or a thiazide-like diuretic. For step three, we're looking at an ACE inhibitor or an ARB plus a calcium channel blocker plus a thiazide-like diuretic. And for step four, we have the same principle as for those with hypertension with type two diabetes. So fairly simple and straightforward. And if you've got any um, confusion about that, then the NICE guidelines are generally very easy to use in these situations. So key principles that I'd just ask you to remember, if an ACE inhibitor is prescribed and isn't tolerated, usually obviously because of the intractable cough, offer a low-cost angiotensin receptor blocker. If you've got patients being treated with a bendafluomethazide, for example, or hydrochlorothiazide, whose blood pressure is stable and well-controlled, then do continue these agents. If diuretic treatment is to be initiated or changed, then offer a thiazide-like diuretic, in dapamide 2.5 milligrams once daily, in preference to bendro or hydrochlorothiazide. For black people of African or Caribbean family origin, use a, no, use a low-cost ARB in preference to an ACE inhibitor in combination with a CCB at step two or three. Try do not com combine an ACE inhibitor with an ARB to treat hypertension and always regularly check patient adherence. If, patient, if, a, if your patient has unprovoked hypokalemia, then consider Kohn's syndrome as a possible diagnosis. I can't remember the last case I saw, but they are out there and don't forget about them. So that's a very generalized overview of the basic management of hypertension in our patients. And I hope you found this podcast helpful. Do please have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com. And we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts. As always, we'll see you again next time, and thank you for listening. Goodbye.